Three years ago, I designed and supervised the construction of our home. My friends often joke that I have a tendency for jumping with both feet into things that seem absolutely crazy, and this certainly qualified. Trying to build a house in another country was harrowing to say the least. From purchasing the land to moving in was just six months. We were 60% over budget and there were almost no power tools involved. In fact, the scaffolding looked like it was erected by an eighth grade shop class. I was incredibly particular about my design and there were many moments where I despaired entirely our ability to finish it or finish it in a way that it would be livable. But in the end, we did indeed have a home. A home we filled with church members and revolving door of visitors. A home where we took all of this concrete and brick and steel and glass and turned it into something that felt alive to us. A place where life itself was lived. Sermons written, the first steps of my children taken. It's a place where we held a Shrove Tuesday party just last year and Emily made 300 pancakes, but didn't get to eat any because they all evaporated. The night before we moved in, we invited the whole church over and uh, it was completely bare of furniture and we did a home blessing, a house blessing. And then we moved in and all of the chaos started. It wasn't just bricks and concrete, it was a home, a place where we belong to one another. Well, the whole story of scripture, the whole story of scripture is about God making a home with us. First harmoniously in the garden and then through infidelity, heartache and separation, creation, and especially we are estranged from God like star-crossed lovers. But God, God is not easily thwarted. He persists. He continues to pursue us. And he called Abraham and Sarah from, and then Isaac and Israel. God wanted to make a family that he could be at home with. And when the people of Israel fall into slavery, God delivers them into the wilderness and brings them to a land where, again, they could be together. The book of Exodus has chapters and chapters describing the interior of a place where God and people could be together. A big tent, the tabernacle of the Lord. And the first time that scripture explicitly states that the spirit of the Lord descends on someone is actually the artist, the one who was working on the interior of this tabernacle. Exodus 31 says this, See, I have called by name Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur from the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise the artistic design and to work in gold and bronze. The first person scripture explicitly says was filled with the spirit is an artist. The tabernacle, the elaborate Ark of the Covenant housed within it, both of these were places where God was able to dwell with his people. In fact, the whole sacrificial system that we see in Leviticus and in the Torah 
was designed to mediate the radical presence of God to an unclean people. And the spirit and the sacrifices were like spiritual detergent. The life of the animal found in its blood acts as a mediator between God and humanity, which has been marked by death since the fall. It was a place where they could meet each other. And inside this tabernacle, it was designed to look like the garden, like their first home together, to mimic creation. Now, this is a very strange setup in the Near East. This big tent wasn't exactly a glorious place, right? It had no idols inside because God had put his image on us. And so humans were supposed to be the image of God inside this tabernacle instead of these huge idols of stone or gold. Well, centuries later, okay, fast forward, and God has established King David, and David has taken Jerusalem and secured his kingdom. And now David is living in a nice home. This is our reading from the Old Testament today, from First, first Samuel. And but he says, look, here I am, I'm in a nice home, but God is out there in a tent? Surely God should have better. And David longs for something. He longs for a house of the Lord, a house to be truly a home for God in his city and in his life. And the Lord speaks through Nathan, the prophet, to David. And the Lord says, look, have I ever asked you for a big house? Look, your son is going to build me one someday. But what is so much more important is the house of David I will build. The house of David and the throne of David that will last forever. You see, the tabernacle did become a temple, and the temple was destroyed and then abandoned by the presence of God, read Ezekiel, and then rebuilt. But that house was never really fully a home. The Lord wants to make his home with humanity. He wants to be at home with his people, not made out of pillars of stone or gold or cedar, but a home in which the radical presence of God might once again be the cool breeze of Eden. To be a home where the gates of Jerusalem might be open and the nation stream to the brightness of its dawn. And the blood of lambs and bulls and burnt offerings would never be enough to bring about that kind of home. The house of God could never fully be the home of God and humanity shared when all you were depending on were the blood of lambs and sacrifices. A perfect restored home for God and man was not going to be built by David or Solomon or anyone else. We didn't build our first home together after all. No, something, something much more drastic was needed. God would have to make a new home for God and humanity, one where the Lord could bring all of his glory and we could bring all of our mortality and brokenness together in one place. 
a place home where all of us could be with all of God. And so the Lord built the house of David, long fallen into ruin, and made the perfect home. Not out of cedars and gold, stone, but out of faithfulness and courage in the heart of one very unassuming young woman. Which brings us to our gospel reading, the story of Mary. As Christians, we believe that God called creation into being ex nihilo, out of nothing. And sometimes that might feel sort of like an eccentric uh, piece of our theology, but in reality, it is woven throughout all of Scripture. The Lord breathes life into dirt and forms us. The Lord brings forth life from Sarah when she was barren. He makes water flow out of a rock. He makes manna fall from heaven. He makes the oil and the flour last far longer than it should have for the widow. And now here, once again, the Lord speaks a word and a virgin becomes a mother. And in her womb is the house of David, that home that David longed to give to God and the home that God promised to give to David. In the Gospel of John, the connection between Jesus and the temple is explicit. The word becomes flesh and tabernacles with us, usually translated dwells with us. And Jesus says that he would rebuild the temple in just three days. This little boy, sheltered in the womb of Mary, is the place where all of humanity meets all of God's glory. In that first cell, God makes his home forever with humanity in the person of Jesus. Growing up, the way I understood the gospel revolved solely around the cross, and rightly so. But it can make this moment, the incarnation, sort of feel like a preamble to the main event. God's redeeming work begins, of course, with Jesus becoming human just so he can be crucified. One year, I heard a Christmas Eve sermon about the death of Jesus, something that just didn't quite feel right. The life and teaching of Jesus are not just perfunctory steps on the way to a sacrificial death. They are all of a single piece. The life, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus are all one movement of redemption. Different notes in a single chord of salvation, which makes this moment with Mary from our gospel text this morning shine all the brighter. God is finally building his home with us. And in a great and wonderful surprise, Mary, Mary, is the partner that God invites to play the leading role. Let's go back to the text. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow, overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, imagine, I imagine all of us have heard this passage before. Um, but don't let it cease to surprise you. It should never stop amazing us. It tells us so much about the character of God and about what God values. This young peasant girl from a backwater of Israel who nobody would take notice of with no title and no formal training that we know of, this is the person. This is the person the Lord trusts, the Lord honors, the Lord knows is right for the important job, the most important job in the history of humanity up to this point. He wants to start building a home again in her. And sometimes she's pictured as just this quiet and submissive girl. And undoubtedly, her willingness to submit to the will of God is the linchpin of this interaction. Her willingness to embrace God God's will sets her apart. But that was not just some passive thing. She is saying yes. She is saying she is going to serve the Lord. And she risks her life to do it. It risks everything she imagined her life might be, all of her dreams of the future. Mary isn't just quiet and submissive. She is active and courageous. Mary models strength and virtue. She puts Zechariah, the wise, virtuous old priest, to shame in this story with her ability to trust and pursue God. The world may have looked at Mary and seen just another present, but God God looks at her and sees in her the very best of the Davidic line. And it is, in, it is with Mary that God builds this home, our final home, Jesus. Jesus is the home, a body that you and I are baptized into, that nourishes us in which we are anointed by the Spirit. Because when God makes his home with us in the person of Jesus, that wasn't just some temporary thing. The home he makes in Mary's womb is the one that we are still members of, bodily and spiritually. And Jesus, 
on the right hand of the Father, still bears that redeemed, resurrected humanity. And this is all well and good, right? It's all well and good to think about how important Jesus is. But what does all this mean? What does it really mean for us on a daily basis for Jesus to be our home with God? What does it mean that God has acted in this way? Well, it means that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are no longer estranged lovers. That's the first thing it means. It means that God is not satisfied to be held at arm's length, to live adjacent to you, to live and dwell in a tent nearby. He wants to live with you, to live in you, and you in him. And importantly, it means that you can bring all of your mess, all of your brokenness, all of your weakness, all of your shame. You get to bring all of it into this home Because God is big enough to take all of it on himself. He makes his home right in the midst of it. And he heals it. And ultimately it means that irrespective of what the world might think about us, about you, it means that when we say, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Let it be unto me according to your word. That there is absolutely no limit to what God can do in and through you. Friends, that that truth and that reality about the incarnation is something that we need to let settle into our bones. Because I don't think we really often believe we can truly bring our mess to God in that way. Nor do I think we actually believe that God can do more than we could ask or imagine through us. We think to yourself, well, God, you don't quite fully understand how deep this problem goes. But he does. You don't quite understand, Lord, my weaknesses and inabilities and fears. But he does. And it's in the midst of those things that God makes a light dawn. And that, friends, is the hope of Advent. Pray with me.